Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about this episode is Carrie Mora by Thomas Harris. A little bit about the author. Thomas Harris, born April 11th, 1940, which uh, I did a little math on that before we, we started the podcast. That makes him 79 years old. Correct. Uh, is, I, I double checked your work. That is correct. <laughs> Uh, he is American writer, best known for the series of suspense novels about his most famous character, Hannibal Lecter. All of his work have been made into films, the most notable being the multi-Oscar winning The Silence of the Lambs, which became only the third film in Academy Award history to sweep the Oscars in major categories. I remember seeing that movie um, in the theater. Mm, nice. Uh, yeah. And what a great movie. I don't know how well it holds up. I, I mean, I know I've seen it since then, but not like in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, but what a brilliant movie. Yeah. And uh, before we go on with the synopsis, I want to say I've read all the Hannibal books from Thomas Harris. So I have some exposure. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, later, but I'm, I'm coming from a place before having read this, having read all but one of his works, that one that's not Hannibal related. Like Black Sunday or whatever. Yeah. That first one yeah. that he did. Um, I not not familiar with that one, so I do have a little bit, a little bit of experience. Not recently, I read uh, the last probably two or three Hannibal Lecter books, like as they came out. So I think it's probably been ten years, maybe since the last one or something like that. Anyway, that's going to be important for purposes of this review. That's why I mention <laughs> it. Here is the synopsis. A resilient young woman must outwit a sadistic psychopath in this pulse-pounding thriller from the author of The Silence of the Lambs, a master still at the top of his strange and chilling form. That's a quote from the Wall Street Journal. Keep that in mind, too. $25 million in cartel gold lies hidden beneath a mansion on the Miami Beach waterfront. Ruthless men have tracked it for years. Leading the pack is Hans Peter Schneider. Driven by unspeakable appetites, he makes a living fleshing out the violent fantasies of other richer men. Kari Mora, caretaker of the house, has escaped from the violence in her native country. She stays in Miami on a wobbly, temporary protected status, subject to the iron whim of ice. She works at many jobs to survive. Beautiful, marked by war, Kari catches the eye of Hans Peter as he closes in on the treasure. Bakari Mora has surprising skills, and her will to survive has been tested before. Monsters lurk in the crevices between male desire and female survival. No other writer in the last century has conquered those monsters with more terrifying brilliance than Thomas Harris. Kari Mora, his sixth novel, is the long-awaited return of an American master. Yeah. The, f the first paragraph <laughs> of the synopsis, not even the synopsis, it's like that introduction paragraph, yeah. says, in quotes, Master is still at the top of his strange and chilling form, and that's tribute to the Wall Street Journal. Do you think that that was like a blurb from the Wall Street Journal, or might that have been from a previous Hannibal Lecter book? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Um, I would I would say that it's probably... Because, like, you know how you get a book and it says, like, praise for, and it's the other stuff they've written. Mm -hmm. I, I, in my mind, I thought it was the praise for whatever shit that he's written in the past. I hope so, because I have, I feel that the Wall Street Journal is a pretty credible source of information, which is not something that you can say easily in today's age. Sure. And I wanted to know if I needed to scratch them off the list or not of places that I can believe <laughs> a word from. <laughs> 
yeah. Um, I mean, otherwise, the, the synopsis is more or less pretty accurate. Um, Spot, on. Spot I, on. Yeah. I, I, I worry about the importance that it like puts on things that don't end up being as important in the story, but that's kind of a tried and true um, synopsis trick is to, you know, sure make everything sound flashy. <laughs> For sure. Um, I don't know if anybody caught it. I'm just going to say it right now. I was not a fan of this book, and I'm probably going to take that stance throughout the course of this review. Um, and then in summarizing at the end, in final thoughts or whatever, I'll probably lay, lay it out on why this was so disappointing. But Rob, tell, tell people about this this uh, this story. I'm trying to remember how the book starts. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's fair. Because you know what? This book, this fucking book, man. Um, the book starts with one of a group of people um, that are staking out the house. So I think it was uh, the character um, that's mentioned in the synopsis, Hans Peter Schneider and his group. They're like, he's on the phone, but he's totally checking out the house. And he's explaining to somebody else on the phone about Kari, who is yeah. the caretaker and how they just got uh, they just got um, like uh, what's that called? But Michael Gonzalez, I think, works with like filming rights or whatever. Oh, like location, location um, stuff, stuff like licensing yeah. or permits or whatever. Yeah. So that they they got the permit to, to work on this property that essentially has been vacant for years that has uh, just been used for shooting porn films and movies and stuff like that. So they're 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 watching the lady who's there. That's like the caretaker slash like housekeeper for the place. And he's talking about how tomorrow morning, like 6 a.m., we can get in there and start looking for this this gold that's mentioned in the synopsis. Yeah. And then um, if I remember correctly, there's, you know, the first introduction of Kari, who is like a, the main protagonist, um, is kind of just her in the house, like just doing normal everyday stuff with like her. She's got a cockatiel, I think. Right. Who says uh, um, stuff. Yeah, it was uh, it was bigger than a cockatiel, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, it was a bigger bird. Okay, whatever. Yeah, the kind um, that you know she takes with her on her shoulder places. Yeah, and so it mentions just like the weird like um, like props and stuff that are left over from other people who have done stuff in the house in the past, like filming, like Livia said, and um, and then just like kind of some mundane stuff. And it's weird because I remember that like her like introducing her was kind of a little bit interspersed with like other characters um, as well. The Hans Peter character. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it was like when he was observing, but like you also see her kind of moving throughout the house and stuff like that. Um, and I feel like it's pretty early on that it's revealed. The original owner of the house was Pablo Escobar. Quite possibly the most interesting part of this whole book. Yeah. And so the idea was like, this was a house that he had in Miami um, in, in, you know, his heyday of being like a cartel drug runner guy or whatever boss. He was the big guy, right? He was the big drug guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and now it's just a place that, um, for various reasons, never really gets sold. Um, it just kind of gets temporarily occupied and that's as interesting as the house is to me. Really? I, uh, I have, 
one of the few notes that I made about this was what you were talking about when you had said they kind of introduced the character in the middle of this other character, but it's it's so much worse than that. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna like read just a little bit. Like I'm just gonna kind of pick, but this is all from one page. So um, Hans Peter studied Kari through the glasses. She was on tiptoes, filling a bird feeder. Now it would be a waste to throw her away. He's talking about one of the things that he does, which I think is also mentioned in the synopsis. He like traffic. He, he's like a jack of all trades. Like wherever he can make a buck, he's out there hustling, right? He wants this gold, but he also like sells organs on the black market and he sells women and even women whose organs have been taken have a market value. So there's there's a lot of that that actually makes him a fairly like interesting character in some ways. That's not to give a ton of credit. He's no Hannibal Lecter. Not that I expected that. But at this point in the book, I had that hope that he was going to be a Hannibal Lecter. Um, So anyway. So he talks about how much she would be worth. That's if she had all her limbs, blah, blah, blah. And that says in the, I don't know, the a frangipani, frang, frang, frangipani tree, tree, frangipani tree. Yeah. Beside the terrace, a catbird sang a song it had learned in the Colombian cloud forest and brought north to Miami Beach. So this is after he's talking about how much this woman's worth. We're still in his perspective, right? And then it says, Kari Mora recognized the signature call of an Andean solitaire that lived 1,500 miles away. The catbird sang with great enthusiasm. Kari smiled and paused to listen one more time to the song from her childhood. She whistled to the bird. It whistled back. She went inside the house. And then it goes right back to Hans Peter. So there's just this paragraph in the middle of a chapter that literally switches perspectives. Because I I don't think Hans (laughs) Peter could know that she recognized this particular bird from 1,500 miles away. Like, you know what I mean? And it does this at least three or four times through the book. And I can only attribute it to piss-poor editing. There's no other way. Like, all right, you know, maybe, first of all, the author probably should have thought about that when he was writing it. But it's like this book didn't make it past any kind of quality control. Which is really disappointing because this isn't, and not to, I'm not saying what it sounds like I'm saying. If this was cranked out by some small press that's trying to put out three or four books a month and they miss something, you go, eh, okay, we've seen it, right? We've emailed authors and said, there is a glaring error yeah. in your ebook. Let your publisher know because they can go in and change it. This is a big publisher yep. that this got through and a big named author whose work used to merit that type of scrutiny. This book probably doesn't merit it, but it's still not an excuse not to have it. I'm just going to throw out an impression that I had of this book, and and I'll see if you felt the same way. Uh, going on the, the steam of, of other books that he's written, I was like, all right, I know I can kind of anticipate, like, you know, a well-crafted story, interesting, you know, you know, narrative and stuff like that, plot, plot all pretty tight and everything like that. And I'm reading this book, and I'm like, man, this is really setting up a lot because I'm waiting for, you know, some real plot to kick in and stuff like that. And I'm like, still setting up. Wait, is this set up? And, and you know what I'm saying? Like, it <laughs> felt like it just continuously was trying to get started. And and so the quality, I, I gave it more the benefit, more of a benefit of a doubt than I think it, it really deserved because it it felt like the story was always trying to just kind of figure itself out. Um, and the, the type of, you know, weird, um, the way that parts of it were written that Livius was mentioning definitely didn't help. 
Didn't help at all. No, I was trying to find. I think I was about 10 pages in. Oh, here it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, this is a message I sent to Rob. The first couple of pages are brutal. Yeah. Rob says, uh-oh, should we reconsider? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I think we should review some Harris. Like, maybe it's just a rough start. It wasn't just a rough start. It just kept going. For an alleged for an alleged 500 pages, and I say alleged because I'm calling bullshit on that too, after reading some Amazon reviews, apparently, well, I guess it says 320 pages. I got the impression that it was listed as longer somewhere. But this book was a solid 180 pages. Did you feel that way? Uh, yeah, that's... So it's funny because um, whatever book... Uh, what book did we do recently? There was a book we did recently that um, the ebook came with like some really small type, and it was taking me forever to get through a page, so I like blew up the um, the font a little bit just to make mm-hmm. it so that like I was flipping pages yeah. more often, just like to get a better uh, uh, flow. And this was the exact opposite. The the t- type was huge, yeah. and um, my I, I something was going weird with my app, but um. So like the paging, the page numbers and the table of contents for me was not working properly, but um, it broke out to be about I think two hundred sixty pages of like a really big font. Yeah, yeah. So. I know we're a little all over the place, but like I just I talk about things. So I finished this yeah. book ten days ago, and I'm like, oh yeah, and another thing. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. So. Essentially, we have Hans Peter Schneider, who is the lead bad guy, who's who's working for somebody else who's trying to get the gold. On the other side, we have Don Ernesto, who's also trying to get the gold. And then we have Kari and a group of people who kind of get caught in the middle. Yeah. Is that a fair? That's a fair assumption, right? Yeah. And then that's it. That's really uh, like so the 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 legend is that um, Pablo Escobar um, had this amount of gold that he moved to the United States at some point. And the, uh, the thing that like in, in the synopsis we're talking about, like, you know, bad people have been hunting this for years or whatever it said. Um, it eventually was figured out that it's most likely that this gold was in this house. And so, um, while, uh, Hans Peter is trying to get access to this house so that he can verify that, the Don Ernesto crew is like surveilling them in a way where for the first, probably 50 pages of the book, I thought they were the police. Huh, yeah, I can see that. And then it just turns out it's like a, almost like a rival gang, I guess, if I want to be very like, you know, reductive about it. Um, so um, that's the conflict. There's this like supposed money. It's supposed to be in this house. These guys both want it. And Kari, for some reason has a job working there and um it's one of the many jobs she she uses to kind of like you know get by and help support her family and stuff like that and so that's the story the twist is kari's past as it mentioned in the synopsis um she had uh escaped from violence in her native country and that she's got um you know surprising skills and stuff like that so she's kind of a badass and so it kind of confounds the efforts of, of both sides as the story goes along, I'd say, is a, is a pretty fair thing to say. 
Yeah, I mean, she definitely has a certain, you know, a convenient set of skills, which is fine, right? Because without that, I don't know what kind of story you have. At least, you know, wouldn't be one with her in it. Um, you know, she gets a backstory, and her backstory is not is not terrible. Like, she's got a good backstory. She's got an interesting backstory. But he still fails, in my opinion, to make me give a shit about her or anybody else in this book. Yeah, like that's, I, I mean, you can't when you can't get someone to care about the clear protagonist. This isn't like an iffy, you, you know, like uh, who's really the main character? Who, the fucking book is her name. Yeah, if he can't deliver getting you to care a little bit about what happens to this woman or this gold or anything in this book, then it's then it's a goddamn failure. Yeah. And and so yeah, I I I really feel like we're probably not going to spend too much time talking about this book because we kind of told you what it's about. Um, and 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 I have some grievances to air. And but yeah, I, I agree. Um, like I said before, I feel like there are some individual elements that I would like to see in a story. Um, I think it's an interesting premise, you know, like uh. The it's basically a a modern buried treasure story, which I, to be honest, I feel like you don't really see very often. I think that's kind of a a well that people don't go to as often. Um, and now somewhere someone is like furiously writing a list of all the ways that that's being used in the modern day. But um, so I like some of the ideas of it. I think that someone failed this story whether it was just the fact that thomas harris is 79 years old and maybe he passed his you know peak of of ability as a writer which uh, homeboy's a legend he created one of my favorite characters of all time i'll never hold anything against the guy he's amazing regardless maybe he just you know maybe he's past his time maybe uh it's a cash grab from a publisher's perspective where they're like, he's like, well, I've got this book if you want it, but I'm not super in love with it. And they're like, we're going to throw money at it because you, you made Hannibal. It could be something like that too. Yeah. I, I feel very strongly that it's both of those things. I think a combination of those things. Um, Yeah. There, there were a couple things I, I liked, you know, I mentioned it a little earlier and I'll say it again. I think that this, the Hans Peter character was actually, pretty interesting but there wasn't very much of him in it the parts that he was in had a very chilling feel he's well a combination chilling slash ridiculous feel so when he was talking about things um there's a part his first uh, the first victim that we're introduced to uh, i have a quote here carla had not been a total loss she had provided hans peter with some amusement and he was able to sell both her kidneys yeah. Like that draws a pretty good picture of someone that's just evil, right? And there is a lot of that. When I say a lot, every time they talk about him, it's almost like they bring something up. Like I said, they he starts talking about the actual money that he would lose or make if he modified some person, some woman that he had, you know? And and that's it's it's pretty graphic and it's kind of chilling. But in the end, he's like this throwaway character in this book. He has—he also has no depth and no real, you know, uh, like he doesn't get a good story. He gets a lot of good descriptive one-liners. And while I'm on the um, kind of ridiculous 
thing. Here's a here's what I think is a perfect example. The oval bow of the key was flush now against the rose of the lock, flush as he would be against her if he decided to go upstairs. Stay stuck to her until she got too cool. Sadly, she would cool faster than the house does as it sheds the heat of the sun. In the air conditioning, she wouldn't stay warm for long, even if he pulled the covers up over them and snuggled. They never did stay warm. So soon clammy, so soon cool. Like, that's a really dark and chilling passage, but it starts off with this this um, Michael Scott, you know, it was flush against things, as flush as he would be against her if he decided to go upstairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then morphs into this really chilling, gross, but worthwhile <laughs> character Passage, description yeah. yeah so so something that has been kind of percolating in my mind uh that now i think is a good time to mention is what this story reminds me of and um it's kind of a weird one so did you ever watch the tv show dexter yes did you read any of the books i did not all right so for anybody who's out there who's who's not not aware dexter the tv show was based on um a book uh by a, an author named jeff Lindsay. um the first season was basically the first book and then after that the dexter series went in one direction and the dexter book series uh in an entirely different direction and typically the books were a little campier and a little more um like cartoonish or, or just kind of like, um, goofier. And I feel like I got that vibe a lot in this and, and not in a way where it was supposed to be a comedy, just in a way where it was like somehow oddly exaggerated. Um, and I, I don't know if I can, it's tough to kind of give it, you know, specific examples of what I'm talking about, but, it's just a little goofier and more cartoonish than I would want for um, a book that seems to be taking itself pretty seriously and trying to be dramatic or thrilling or suspenseful or horror because that type of stuff happens frequently and it does take away from me trying to, like Livius was saying, care about what's going on with these characters when these kind of weird, out-of-the-ordinary situations kind of pull me away from the seriousness of it i agree wholeheartedly so i mean i think i think you hit the nail on the head you know it it, it's you know on its face it's a good premise then the delivery is garbage yeah and 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 i'm not saying that like i'm serious i actually thought this book was garbage yeah well yeah i figured out my rating yesterday um that's how that's not a good sign unless it's like a five-star rating um and I go back to how much of this is Thomas Harris and how much of this is someone saying this could, this could be crazier. This could be scarier. You know, like the, the typical like Hollywood, like, you know, fluff it up kind of thing. Like how, like did this go through not enough editing or way too much editing? That's an interesting point. I didn't think, I definitely thought not enough editing. I don't, you know, too much editing didn't occur to me. Because of the kind of gaffes in a few places where it's stuff that, I I mean, look, you and I published exactly one book 
and <laughs> we were blessed with having really easy shit to work with, right? Like you're yeah. and you're like, man, this is really good. There's a couple commas out of place, whatever, you know. But I, I mean, by and large, we were very lucky. Go back to, uh, and this is this is a little bit different, but go back to the Pale King. Like the major failings of that book was that it was an incomplete book. If this book was was more or less written and the publishing house just kind of like, you know, spackled in the you know the cracks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could explain a lot. I'm trying yeah, to save Thomas Harris as much as possible. Is what I'm I trying know. to do right the, now. The thing that makes me angry about this is that um, this isn't like humble bragging or whatever. I saw this book at two airport airport bookstores. I saw it at no less than four bookstores in France. Front table, hardcover, primary position. Yep. Thomas Harris, creator of Hannibal or something along those lines, splattered all over the cover. And this is a book. How do I say this again? You know, I feel bad saying like something because I think of the way they might come off. If this was a small press and this was someone's first book, I'd probably be a little more lenient. And I'd say, bah, you know, his first book, there's a story there. Some interesting that Hans guy could have worked on that. There's these other, the, the 10 bells pickpocket school. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Like this is a, a major, <laughs> yeah, this is a major publisher that can put a book in airport bookstores, which has got to be one of the hardest places to get your book. I would imagine. I don't know how distribution works, but there's very limited space. Yeah. And they got to get through the, that gate. Yeah. Yeah. We could have <laughs> never got, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could have never gotten, a, a book into the airport bookstore. You, you know what I mean? And then right. it's on the front table at different, di- and I was in different bookstores and saw it everywhere. It's like it had no right to be there. And that's not me, yeah. you know, book burning or, or whatever. It's like, this is a shoddy pro. This is the Samsung phone that set itself on fire. It had yeah. no right to get into people's hands in the way that it did with flashy advertising and whatever. And that's the disappointment. Like I said, I would have cut it a little more slack if it wasn't a a very well-known author who's created one of the most interesting characters ever in fiction. And then a ton of money thrown behind it to put it in places where you can't not see this book. Yep. So I'm frustrated at a half-assed story. There's a review if I can find it. And, and this guy put it fucking perfectly and i'm just gonna paraphrase so i don't spend a lot of time looking for it it was a one star review then it said you know at the end i don't even remember who got the gold yep. and i thought to myself I, that, yeah. I, I thought to myself you know what i don't fucking know either like how is this possible <laughs> like how is it possible that i don't know how this book ended i mean yeah. i know some of the things but i'm like yeah i don't know there was a mess of characters it was incredibly hard to follow, like whose allegiances were with who and this guy whose team he's on. And, and it just it was sloppy. It was sloppy in a way. I'll say this and this won't mean a ton to you. You know, what was a better book than this. Hmm. The Mister was a better book than this. And I'm not <laughs> oh, saying that shit. just to be an asshole. <laughs> I liked that book better. Oh, no. Wow. So well, and L. And... James is better than this. <laughs> so. Not to belabor points or, you know, anything like that, but um, I'm looking at the list of characters and I don't know exactly what this means, but I felt like I needed to add two characters that weren't humans. There's a salt, (laughs) there's a saltwater crocodile. 
that it gets like four pages in this book, which the size of the book, that's a sizable amount for a crocodile. And then there's a dog that's dead that, and the dog is what I want to focus on talking about. There's the crocodile. There's like, at su- I'm going to say right now, those four pages that I mentioned are from the perspective of a fucking crocodile, which I actually liked. I thought that was cool. Now the dog the crocodile was what it's like the third smartest character in the yeah. book. <laughs> the crocodile and it ends up a lot better off than a lot of the characters in the book. Now this dog. Um, so basically uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but at one point someone sees somewhere a skeleton of a person and a half of a dog. So you're thinking, all right, something's going on here. Later on, someone else goes to this place where you see the skeleton and a half a dog. And you, I don't know if they saw the skeleton this time, but it says one eighth of a dog. (laughs) And, and to me, it took me out of the moment because I was like, of all of the things that I've read so far that were so like, poorly explained or just like not explained. And then I had to kind of figure them out on my own. The attention to detail that was paid <laughs> to how much of the dog remains from the first time it's mentioned to the last time it's mentioned is fucking inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, and I'm not cutting you off. I think that's a great summary for this book. <laughs> I, I think that you just said everything that needs to be said about this fucking book. That's that's and that's why it deserved to be a character because like I didn't want to forget that because the dog, I I, I don't know, it it just. Do you want to do you want to do wrap ups? Yeah, I, one more thing and this is <laughs> there's Rob put it in here which is great because I forgot about this character that's introduced that has a role, and then just fucking disappears like there's nothing related to his role in the book. <laughs> yeah. At all. There's a, there's, it's a detective. So, I mean, that's, that shouldn't be a shocker, right? There's a bunch of criminals. So they introduce a detective three quarters of the way through the book who then has no part of anything. Not at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and... Not even in the... Like, I think he had planned something with someone and then that person just did the thing without... Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I rolled into this thinking Thomas Harris, um, this is going to be good. And like I said before, I think it was kind of, um, because of that, it took me a long time to realize that this book was just not right. Um, kind of like, like, let's say you had a hero that you, you know, you'd watched on TV and you'd seen all of their, whatever, like Peter Falk, Columbo. He, you know, he did that show forever, right? But let's say you met him toward the end of his life, and you're like, oh, meeting Peter Falk is going to be fucking great. This guy was great in Columbo. And he's just fucking mumbling nonsense. And it takes you, like, longer to figure out that he's just mumbling nonsense because you have that expectation. If he was just any random person on the street, you'd be like, oh, this guy's a, a maniac, like, insane person. But because it's Peter Falk, you're like, oh. This guy's, oh, wait a minute. So that's kind of how I felt about this book. Like, it just, uh, it failed to be a book. And uh, it's really disappointing because um, he is better than the book that was published. 
And I, I, you know, I speculated what I thought might be the issues. Who knows? Who knows what it is? Um, the only thing I'll say is, um, I looked at the Amazon reviews uh, because I was like, "What's what's going on with this?" I wonder what other people's reactions are. And almost half of the reviews are one star. And I was like, "Oh man, it can't be that bad." But then I got through the book, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this is a one star book, and it's really sad, but it's a one star book." I uh, was really excited. So we had this weird. We were taking a break for a week, and we were kind of looking. And I don't remember. I think I came across it, and I was like, "Oh, fucking Thomas Harris, for sure. This is a no-brainer. Why would we not read a Thomas Harris book?" Like I said, I read all the Hannibal books. I remember really enjoying them. Rob, uh, for anybody who's listening to the podcast, has a very special relationship with the Hannibal TV show. I was like, "There's no way we can't read Harris." And I, I got to start uh, well, a significant jump start on Rob because I I had a shorter time frame to read it in, and I did. I got. 15 pages in and I sent him that message and I knew I just had a feeling this is going to be bad. It's bad in the first 10, 15 pages. Maybe it'll get a little better, but it's not going to be good. This isn't a good start. And I thought, well, we, we have to do this. It's nice that we can pick the books that we review. And that's why once in a while I, we, we should read a James Patterson. We should read Neil James. And now we should read a fucking Thomas Harris. And I'm sad to say that I put him in that category. I don't know what happened with this book. And and I'm going to go a little further than, than we did, you know, in the actual review and say, maybe the guy just needed money. And and if that's the case, I don't fucking fault him one bit. I lay all the blame squarely at the feet of the publisher that put this out there with a name on it, like Thomas Harris. And that's just grabbing money left and right. I, I mean, like... If you're on Amazon, you go, oh, Thomas Harris. Oh, he's got a new book. And you pull up and you go, holy shit, it's two and a half stars. What the fuck is this? And you start reading. Maybe you don't buy it. But I literally saw it in no less than six places in the last week. And if you're walking into a bookstore, you're not reading a fucking review. You're in the bookstore. That means you look and you go, oh, look at this. This looks interesting. Fucking Wall Street Journal says he's at the top of his fucking game or whatever that's in the synopsis. And it's lies and deceit. And that made me really fucking angry. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how angry I am. And I don't know if I'm angry for him or if I'm angry for the readers. Like, we review books. It's good for us to review a bad book once in a while because it reminds us how good books can be. And that's going to come up here shortly on, uh, you know, bookending um, this with Sinner Man, which is the last, I think that was the last book we did, right? And then what I wound yeah. up reading on my week off from the podcast, um, this was an awful book. And I really, I, I struggle to think in the eight years, if I read anything, I liked this little. So I don't know what the lowest rating I've ever given a book is. I don't know if the, the book historian Rob, do you know offhand? Zero. Zero. Let's give this one the same thing. Patterson's zoo. Yeah. Cause you know what? I, I don't, I, I'm sure I hated it. Oh, yeah. But all I can tell you is if you made me read one of these again, I'd fucking read Zoo before I read this. Guaranteed. Wow. Zero stars. <laughs> that is shocking. That is that's fucked up. But um and that's all right. So I don't wanna just beat beat the dead horse, but something went wrong and this book is the is the result of it. I think that Livius's point is probably the best point about this book, and that's that it should not have been published. Simple as that. Yeah. Now, 
I understand that you also took the extra week to read something. Yeah. So let's I, see how that went. <laughs> so I was in that position that I, I feel so bad about um, where we pick up the book, the newest book from a legend that I haven't read anything else from. Um, and that was the case with Thomas Harris. I had not read anything before. Um, despite the fact that I'm a huge Hannibal fan, all that happened after um, the podcast started. So, you know, we don't have a lot of recreation time. So I decided, you know what? We got this extra week. I have, I can, I can kill two books easily. So I read Red Dragon and I read that before I read this book. <laughs> um, and it was very good. It was very good. I would say that every element of a book that you could break down was very, very well done. Characters were great. Plot was great. The time, you know, everything just great. Um, and obviously such a legendary book that it has been made into a movie on two separate occasions and retold in the Hannibal series. And it was wonderful. So this book having come right off of red dragon and going into this book was, was a real, shock <laughs> i'm gonna ask you some questions because if memory serves correctly i would have read red dragon whatever your silence of lambs came out 91 90 mm-hmm. so oh really like i saw silence of lambs i was like holy shit this is really good and i was like wait this is a sequel to something you mm-hmm. know and i went out and got the book so it's been many 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 years how do you feel that book how do i say this how did you see that TV show in the book or vice versa? Does that make sense? Like yes. I, I've seen Manhunter, the original movie. I've seen Red Dragon, the more recent um, Ed Norton. Right. Um, you know, version of, of Red Dragon. Um, and I've seen the TV show, but I don't have enough of a recollection of the book. Like how did the book feel versus the TV, which you've seen the series, I'm sure six or seven times at right. this point, Mr. With the limited, I like I said, with the limited recreational time, I was like, yeah, how, how are you going to watch Justified another time if you have to read a book? Like, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, this is an easy thing for me to answer because um, while I was reading the book, I also rewatched the Hannibal, the part of season three of Hannibal, which is like six episodes that covers the Red Dragon story. Um, and then I also watched mm-hmm. Manhunter later on. I didn't get a chance to get around to the Red Dragon movie, but. That's okay. So um, here's what I'll say. Um, the the Red Dragon part of season three of the Hannibal TV show um, is, is very faithful to the story. Um, obviously, it embellishes a little bit here and there because um, uh, Brian Fuller's Hannibal series kind of did different things with different characters. So a Freddie Lowndes is, you know... Uh, it, and, and Chilton and all them, maybe some different things happen, but like even down to like dialogue in the book, like there are, there's a lot of the dialogue that's like word for word spoken in the, in the TV show. So I'd say that it's, it's very faithful, but Manhunter was too. The only thing I'd say is that the TV series, because it seemed like it, it was so, um, so much of like, a like they, they're, like in love with the whole like mythology of Hannibal that I feel like it was more careful about um, the portrayal of things. Whereas like Manhunter, for example, was an eighties movie. So it was much more 
you know, in that style of, of what action movies would be like at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, a little bit more flashy, a little bit more crass, um, a little more surface level. Whereas like the Hannibal TV series, um, is, is much more focused on the Hannibal character, um, and the, and the relationship between Hannibal and Will. So I have another question that may or may not be, um, interesting, but this is uh, fairly unique. So you read a book where you have a very, very iconic Anthony Hopkins. Like that when you say Hannibal to anybody other than like you and Jesse and Misty, (laughs) they think Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Then that's fair. Right. And then you have your love for the Hannibal TV show. The, um, like what's his name? I always say it wrong. Max Mickelson. Mickelson, right. The Mickelson version of, of Hannibal. When you were reading the book, which one was in your head? Um, Mads. Okay. Yeah. No, that's why I, I just think to myself, like, you know, I, when we read when I was even younger and I read like a Star Wars book, it said Han Solo. There was Harrison Ford burned into my yeah. brain. I couldn't think of him any other way. But it's odd because you typically don't have two to two. I mean, I guess you look at like the Batman movies and you can say, well, right. Michael Keaton or, you know what I mean? Or Christian Bale, but, you know, or whatever. But it, it's it's a kind of unique situation. I was just wondering which I'll which you, one you were seeing in the scenes. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, uh, and this could just be like my own kind of personal feelings about the story overall. But if you look at the Hannibals that have existed, so you got Brian Cox and Manhunter. Um, you've got uh, Anthony Hopkins, and then you've got Mads Mikkelsen. The thing that Mads does in the Hannibal TV show that the other two don't is he really leans into that like cold animal kind of delivery of things he's saying. It's very reptilian and just like cold and and, and very like emotionless often. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas like I feel like Hopkins and Cox both went for a very like academic posh kind of approach. So I, I don't remember the, I mean, I know who the guy in Manhunter is, right. you know what I mean? I can picture, but I don't remember his delivery, but I definitely see what you're saying about um, Hopkins. Right. So I, 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 I gotcha. I'm, I'm on board with that. And so like, I feel like because the overall idea of the Hannibal character is that he believes that he is superior to humans. And like, so he's at best talking down to you if he's not killing you. So I feel like the, like the posh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just funny. That's all. <laughs> so I, I feel like Mads kind of pulled that off better. Like the whole posh academic thing fits the character, but I feel like that, that kind of cold detached, like um, non-caring thing fits the, the meaning, like the, the, the meaning of the character better. Cool. I'm really glad you enjoyed the book. I was, <clears throat> I was a little concerned, like I said, just because of how how into the TV show you are. That you know your expectations would be one thing, and and there would be a different yeah. delivery. You know what I mean? Like so, I was. You said you were going to read it, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm interested to hear." Yeah. What you and think the, about it, not as a book, because I know as a book that it's a great book. I was more interested to see how you felt about it, based on coming at it from having all the exposure to the different genres before right. reading the book. Yeah. And, and I, I can see like the thing, honestly, my takeaway uh, overall was um, of the red dragon book was how much 
everybody tried to make it the book. Um, cause it was very, everything was very faithful to, to Harris's ideas and the beats of the plot and the story and how the characters act and everything. Um, so like my takeaway wasn't necessarily like that. I liked anything better than the book. It was fuck. Everybody loves this story was kind of what I, what I took, took away from it. Well, good. I'm glad. Can I share a little bit uh, about a book that I read? Um, yeah, yes, please, please do. For perhaps eight years or so, maybe Rob can correct me on this. Rob has <laughs> mentioned to me a book that he thought was very good. And again, as Rob said, not a lot of free time for reading books. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been talking about The Shadow of the Wind for some time now. I don't remember if that's pre-podcast. Maybe you'll know if you read it before the podcast. Um, but it's close a, to just, yeah, right before the yeah. podcast. Yep. So it's a book by Carlos Ruiz Zafan, who is a Spanish um, writer, like from Spain, Spanish. Um, Just so people don't think I'm just getting, you know, countries mixed up or whatever. Um, I decided to read this um, while I was on vacation. I was like, that's 500 pages. I'm going to give this a try. Rob says it's really good. I'm going to I'm going to do it. And I got to tell you, Rob, it's one of the best books I've read in a really long time. It's great, isn't it? This book, this book was fucking tremendous. And it's, I said, like book ending books, right? So read Sinner Man. We read this Kari Mora garbage. <laughs> and then imagine how my world opened up going into reading The Shadow of the Wind after Kari Mora. So, oh my God, yeah. I'm not even going to get into what this book is about because it's a very intricate plot. But it takes place, um, in the 1950s with a lot of flashbacks to things that happened the previous 20-ish years. But it's about a boy who um, comes across a book that he falls in love with and he does a little bit of research into the author. And he finds out that nothing is simple (laughs) when it comes to the guy who wrote this book. Um, And it covers a lot of, uh, you know, Spain and Europe, you know, kind of, you know, pre-World War II and apparently, and I'm not a historian, but apparently there was some war in Spain, like a civil war, mm-hmm. I'm guessing from what I got from the book. It covers a lot of that, but it covers, you know, mysterious characters and relationships and relationships between, you know, parents and children and, and multiple love stories. And it has just the most colorful characters that I have read in a really long time. So without saying too much, I want to say thank you, Rob, for turning me on to a book. I know it only took me eight years to get around to it, eight and a half years. But uh, apparently there are four books in the series, my intention. Um, And I don't want to do it too quickly because I think this is good enough that I don't want to binge read all four books. But my plan is to definitely read the other three. And I will give it the highest recommendation on this podcast for us not doing a review. Everybody should read The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Safan. So I did a little, this is going to, this is going to tickle you a little bit. I did a little looking back to my, um, my little reading, um, spreadsheet that I have. It is the last book that I read before the first book we read for the podcast. See, if only you would have said, Hey dude, I already read this book. Just read it. This is what we'll start our book review with whole different podcast. I was thinking about that the other day because I'm looking back at all these old episodes. I had to upload them and everything like that. And in my mind, I was like, why did we start with the books that we started with? What the fuck were we thinking? Why didn't we go for something that was a little bit more, 
universal and like it's just it boggles my mind that we started with the three books that we started with <laughs> i can't when i was a, yeah i don't i think they were just new releases i think we <laughs> i literally pulled up new releases this week on amazon and i was like here we're gonna order ebooks of these books and this is what we're gonna do i have no idea why but i was in a bookstore in france and I sent Rob a picture of the French edition of the very first book that we reviewed. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I went to some bookstores and I was looking for some of our American writer friends. And to be fair, the bookstores I went into were all like chain bookstores. Mm-hmm. So one of them was just a little four. I mean, I say little because um, like any big city, nothing takes up a lot of area. So like every store I went into was multiple stories. So it wasn't like each floor was small. So I was in a bookstore that was like five floors, but each floor was really small. And then I was in two different bookstores that were inside of like large stores. So think, um, you know, like a, inside of a large Macy's that mm-hmm. had like a small bookstore in it. I was unable to find any of our people mm-hmm. probably because they're busy selling Thomas Harris's new book. And fucking three seconds, which is still in print. Like, you know what I mean? Eight years yeah. after we reviewed it and in France. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. That one jumped off the shelf at me. Like, I think because I had a big three on the cover <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't speak French. So if I don't recognize the author name, like I'm going to, you know, it's gonna have to be a real simple title, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I tried I tried because I know we have friends of this podcast that are successful in France uh, and more successful in some cases than they are in the U.S. And I was I had a particular title in mind and I was like, at this point, I'm going to start looking for all the people I know that are published here. And right. I failed to do so. But then again, I wasn't in like a crime specialty little bookstore. Right. I was in the, you know, essentially not a Barnes and Noble, but maybe a, what's that other one that's still around that bought up all the crown books? Little uh, shit. Oh, what's it called? Um uh can't think of it books a million books a million books a million a bam you were in a bam no but they were like a bam you know what i mean like right. a like a little little bookstore so at hey, any rate going back to carlos ruiz Zafon really quick i all i'm gonna i'm gonna float it out there that the um there's four books in the um the i guess it's the cemetery of forgotten books uh series and there will only ever be four, as far as as far as he has said. And the fourth book came out, you know, within the last year. So just, you know, just floating that out there. If you read the other two gotcha. and you're like, hey, we need a book to read. I have not read Labyrinth of Spirits yet, but it is 800 pages. Ooh, yeah. I, um, I, I'm game. I just, I enjoyed this so much. And my first impulse was like, when can I get to the next one? And then I do that. And I, and then like, I have less of a less time enjoying them, I guess. Right. Does that make sense? What, when you do that, there's like TV shows that I've watched. I'm trying to think of what I watched something, something recently I put on and I was like, Oh, I really like the first season of this. And I remember really liking it, but then I'm watching this and I'm going, I fucking hardly remember it because I literally watched it in eight hours and then never gave it another thought other than, oh, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are to so say, gonna... like, even mm-hmm. uh, I'm the type of person that we've talked about it on the podcast before. I read a book in one sitting. I I spread these out like both. Uh, so the Angels game is the second book, which is like 530 pages. And it and I, I already have it. 
<laughs> I read that over like seven or eight different sittings. Um, mm-hmm. And the prisoner of heaven, which is the third book shorter, it's like just under 300 pages. Um, and I read that in two, in like three or four settings sittings too, just to like, like savor it because it's the type of book that they have a lot going on, but they're also just like, it's the story that makes it so good. So, yeah. It's that meeting of just beautiful writing along with brilliant storytelling. The thing that got me about the shadow of the wind, and I know you read it, we've determined eight and a half years ago, right? But how cleanly he tied up everything. Right. Like it's like, like just a work of art. How, how that book ended. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing was left undone. Even the things that you didn't think were important become important and are addressed at the end. I mean, and, and it's a, it's a little bit of a labyrinth. There's some really intricate shit that goes on in that book, but totally, totally worth it. I, I wish if I could rewind the clock, I, that would have been the first book we reviewed, especially knowing that you finished it right before we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. That, that should have been the first book we reviewed and not fucking <laughs> Hellstrom and whatever the other fucking guys. What was yeah. the, Oh, and then the next one was that weird action. Like, knockoff. Book? Yeah. Jesus I, Christ. Funny. You mentioned that. Cause I was on, I was pissed. I was pissed off about the fact that those were the episodes that we started the podcast with. And so I looked up Scott Mariani just to see, like, I'm like, he's got to be a failure. That book was an early edition in like 18 books that have been made about that character in that book in the, in oh the, the Mozart conspiracy and the most recent, uh, whatever book, the most recent one with that ongoing character is, is like, a t- it's, it's about to be, it's like a TV show that's in production right now. Yeah. Well, we were on it first. Yeah, we got there first and we hated it. Although, although, yeah, so three seconds was a sequel. And wasn't that one like not the first book in a yeah, series? It was like the like, third. <laughs> yeah, but then he's come out with like 14 more since then, which is insane. Look, man, if he's got an audience that, that wants to look. He's like the hottest started, Welsh author ever. I started my um my reading. You know, I mean, I read like. We talked about it. like I read the Hardy Boys and the Three Investigators, mm-hmm. right? And like the first adult books I remember reading, I read a little bit of Stephen King. It was different seasons, and I'm sure some other stuff like kind of sporadically. But the thing I l- latched onto was the Executioner series, mm-hmm. which right now is at I think over 500 books. Wow! So at the time they were coming out monthly, they were written by a group of people, you know, where each author wrote one or two a year. They came out monthly, and you know what? It's now Fuck, I want to do the math. 30 plus years after I started reading them, and they're now down to like four per year. So, you know, obviously there's there's some kind of draw for people. At the time, I, I ate them up for probably five or six years. I read every single one. I was trying to track down older ones um, that was pre-internet days. So it was like garage sales and used bookstores. Um, so, you know, as a kid, I like that. As an adult, I don't think I'd want to read the same character. 18, 24 times. Um, but you know, it can't fault him for, for doing it. If he's, uh, if he's knocking it out of the park and making money. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I just want to disagree with you on one more thing before we, we, we let the listeners go. (laughs) Um, so you watched the Deadwood movie, right? Oh yes, I did. All right. So what'd you think of it? I liked it a lot. And, and, um, 
I think so. Christopher Moore was um, tweeting about it, and he said something. I guess it was kind of spoilery, but I said that I thought that it was very respectful to all of the stories of the individual characters. I agree. What I thought, and I know you went back and watched at least some of it beforehand, which I was not Mm -hmm. um, keen to do. I felt like the language was really forced in this one. Was it that bad in the, in the actual series? Cause this one, man, and I was like, man, they're really fucking pouring it on thick. So yes and no. So I, I I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that the language in the series, cause I watched, I rewatched the whole series like a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, um, was the same. It was delivered better in the original series. So, um, there was in the movie that just came out a, a, a very conspicuous scene between Saul and Trixie where um, they're talking back and forth about something. He's about to go do something and they're just kind of bickering a little bit. And the dialogue is so clunky because their delivery is fucking terrible. That um, might be it. It just felt way overwritten and heavy handed. Like the story I liked, I really liked the story. It was nice to see those characters again. But I struggled with fucking listening to them talk for two hours. There, yeah. So I will say, it was delivered in a much more punchy uh, way back in the day, if that makes sense. Like it's just quicker and and um, with uh, like, I guess I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, like the inflection and the facial kind of like you know movements and stuff helped you understand what was going on. Like it just felt more real and natural. So like the whole picture made more sense because the way it was being delivered helped the words that were being said in the original series. And it didn't work that well uh, in the movie. Like Charlie utter at one point is saying something. And I was like, I need to turn on the fucking subtitles because I need to know the words. (laughs) Um, So there are a few instances here and there where I think the delivery by the individual actors just failed to to you know be good i my thought was and this is probably 45 minutes into it i was like if this was what it would have been like i would have never watched the whole series <laughs> no i mean like i would have watched like an episode and said you know what I, it's just meh you know what i mean but no i thought the story was good and i thought they did a masterful job at really like you said kind of touching on and or cleaning up everybody's story yep which was done very well in that short a period of time I just, ugh, some of it was rough. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, because it it went really fast. Like it was a normal feature length film, and I didn't even realize, you know, that I was two thirds of the way through it. And I was like, oh, well, this is this is crazy because it just felt so comfortable and like it it had the it it matched the pace of of the original episodes. Um, but yeah, it got a lot of story packed into that like that small amount of time. I thought it was good overall. Like, obviously it's never going to be, you know, the, like the original, but I think it did a great job. And there was one thing like, so like there's the opening credits of, of um, the TV show. And one point the camera kind of lifts up over um, something to kind of show you the town. And they recreated that scene as just one of the scenes in the movie. And it was awesome because it's like this, this was just kind of like a, a scene that was thrown together for, for an opening credit sequence, but they put that fucking thing in the movie as just part of the movie. And I was like, that's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. I'm glad I watched it. Don't get me wrong. Overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
But Me too. I, I I thought there would be some art. I thought we would fight about the 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 delivery or the language or the writing of whatever the actual writing, not the story, but the yeah. like dialogue writing. Um, yeah. Other than that, you got anything else before we move on to our next book? Um, I I was about to to go into the TV show Chernobyl, but I feel like that's something that we can talk. Have you seen any of it? No, no, HBO. I've heard it's good though. Yeah, that's something that I have a lot of feelings about. It's it's so it's a five episode deal, and they just aired the last episode last night. Um, fucking incredible, incredible story. Now this is a documentary, right? No, it's kind of a okay. docudrama. So it's um, um, it's a fictional retelling of the events of Chernobyl. Oh, okay. But it's it's doesn't the only um, changes diversions from history really are in the in the uh, in the service of of telling a clean story I guess basically is what I would say so it's like a, a docudrama um, okay I'm much yeah. more likely to watch that than I am a five hour documentary right. so I'm glad I'm glad I asked and I'm glad you said that yeah. so. so like but the cool thing about it is there's a companion podcast. Um, that is hosted by Peter Seagal, who does the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, and so it's him and the guy who created and wrote and directed, the, or not directed, created the show, wrote the show, produced it. Um, and he basically fills in the gaps. He says, all right, this is where I had to kind of take liberties in order to get the story told. Um, he tells stuff that didn't make it into the thing. He talks about like, well, obviously we couldn't film at Pripyat. So this is how we made, you know, so like the companion podcast is, is just an awesome way to, um, take something that's an obviously fictional retelling of something and, and help you figure out like what's real, what's not and why and stuff. So it was really a cool experience. I, there's, I have to listen to the final episode of the podcast, but it's one of the best things. And the reason I bring it up is it is the highest rated television show ever on imdb wow would that hit like a nine six nine five what do you have to be to do that i don't remember i just saw an article about it it's like higher rated than game of thrones and breaking bad and all those things that everybody like only 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 until that article came out buddy this is the internet some people are not going to accept that that's a thing and the shit reviews the shit reviews are coming the trolls (laughs) 9.7. 9.7. I was pretty close. I know I know I've seen some things in the low nines. So Yeah, so it it was the highest rated in the history of IMDb's ratings. So I thought that was that's pretty cool. Yeah. Everybody should check it out. And Shadow it, of the like, Wind. More yeah. Shadow and Wind first. Uh yes, for sure. Um it's weird because you wouldn't think that it would have the draw that it had. You know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm, I I haven't seen it so I I, didn't, I thought it was a documentary up until 10 minutes ago. Yeah. But if you said the highest TV show rated on that is a, a docudrama about Chernobyl, a nuclear event that happened what twenty years ago? Is that right? Is it the eighties? Maybe. 86. Yeah. Okay. Thirty years ago. Like, I would have said there's there's no fucking way. There's no way. What has Gossip Girl got? Because you know, I, I don't know that this is this is competition. Yeah. So it's interesting that it does uh, that it does that well for. Gossip yeah. Girl 7.4, by the way, in answer to my own question, <laughs> 7.4 out of 10 stars on IMDb for Gossip Girl. Well, the fucked up thing about Chernobyl is, since you haven't seen it, 
Um, just explain what you know about Chernobyl. There was an incident at a nuclear facility, something about a reactor. I don't know what do they do. They overheat or something. And it released nuclear shit into the world and it killed a bunch of people and the Russians tried covering it up. Yeah, but that's all, all we right. really knew, right? Right, yeah. Um, I was like, am I close? I hope that I'm not completely misconstruing this. That's what I remember it being, yeah. <laughs> you probably did better than most of the people. But like, so th- that's what, what I love about it is like, um, everybody should have known way more <laughs> about this when you when you when you see everything and you realize what like um almost happened what the implications would be how dangerous the entire thing was the world should have been much more knowledgeable about chernobyl than we are (laughs) so that's that's the thing walking away from the seeing all five episodes that's the thing i take away is like why didn't people make this a bigger deal so are you saying and i know we said we were done and you can cut all this out if you need to (laughs) But I guess my, my question is, are you saying like our lack of just knowledge or interest in it? Or are you saying like, why wasn't everybody more forthcoming, I guess, is the because you have two things that happen, right? Sometimes there's a lot of information out there about one thing and really nobody gives a shit because we're too busy focused on, you know, whatever. And, and I'm just saying whatever's important in your life. Right. I've said it to you many times that we have discussions. I'm like, whatever the most important thing in my life is the most important thing. And sometimes that for somebody could be how they're going to pay their rent mm-hmm. or they're dating somebody or whatever. So are you saying that our interest level as people was too low or was it just that like our government should have, yeah, like, like there should have been more news about it, I guess, if not the government, but I mean that it should have been a bigger deal. Well, I think from, I think about it from an education perspective. Um, maybe it's just my age because like I was in grade school when it happened, right? You were middle school. Maybe I was what? What'd you say was, was it 86? 86? Yeah, I was eighth grade. Yeah. So maybe it's, I got through school before enough information was available that they taught us about it. Um, which is very likely. Um, but there's just, yeah, I, I just feel like the, it is indicative of how if it didn't affect us, we just don't pay attention to it. And I think that's a very cultural American thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, that makes me scared. Like what other kind of things do we know? Oh, that was a thing, but like that is much more terrifying and dangerous and scary than we actually know it was, you know? So it just gets me thinking. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that going on too. I mean, even now, not Chernobyl level stuff, but once in a while you'll catch a news thing and you're like, how is nobody else talking about this? Yeah. Well, like how is nobody in my social media feed or my coworkers or you or whatever, like talking about this thing that that's happening. So, I'll, yeah. And I'll, I saw something online today and I'll, I'll use this as an example. Um, it's the, so it's gay pride month and it's something that I've always like, you know, had like, you know, the gay rights and stuff has always been a big thing to me. Um, and I saw someone post the other day um, about what actually started like Pride Month and, and what the the origin of the movement was. And, and, and it'd be curious again to know, like, how much do you know about how Pride Parade uh, started? I want to say, God, I'm going to butcher this and sound terrible. Here's what I think. And I don't know his name. So black guy in California 
am I on the right path or am I completely off? I think I know what you're talking about. Um, different incident. Okay. All right. Then so, no, I have no idea. So basically, um, in New York in what, 50 years ago, um, it was common and not just in New York, all over the country. Like if you were gay in, 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 in United States 50 years ago, you would go to bars like gay bars and stuff like that. And the police could just come in and beat everybody up and arrest them for being gay. And that was just like a common thing. So like yes. you would just try to keep it as down low as possible. And so, um, fucking one day and, and I'm, I'm probably not doing a lot of justice to history, but this is like a, a, a a toned down kind of version of the facts. Like, you know, like people just had enough and they started to riot because of the treatment that was, you know, that the, the kind of thing that was going on. And so like the gay rights movement started because these people at the Stonewall Inn, um, like some bad shit went down and a riot happened because of it. And that was like basically the start of the gay rights movement. Um, so yeah, one of those things like, and someone posted somewhere on the internet, like a thing that said, you know, the pride pride month isn't just about like partying and celebrating the fact that you're gay. It started as riots because people were being, you know, beaten up and stuff. So see, and people should know that. Yeah. And, and to extend it to something else that's recent, like fucking happy Memorial day is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. I've had conversations. Well, but about but it's, it, it's, it's an right. equivalent, right? Like, you know, like it, like I, I get the parade. I completely supportive of that. But when you forget that it started with, you know, people being tired of, of, um, not just not being accepted, but being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Persecuted. Like there's a difference, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't agree with what you do, but that doesn't mean I get to punch you in the face for it. So I, I probably have a little bit of a newfound respect just in that little bit that you told me of, mm-hmm. of what it is that's being celebrated other than like, here's a, like you said, like gay parties, right. Which is fine and cool. But I think having that little bit of knowledge gives me a little bit of a different vantage point. Yeah. Um, I just hope that that word gets out there so that people who are celebrating it, like, like yourself who maybe didn't know that until recently or, or whatever, have a different respect for what's being celebrated not just the fact that we're just celebrating something that we are or something that we do or whatever however you want to look at it yeah we just tend to be so surface level and we don't Mm -hmm. try to understand the meaning behind stuff you're you were talking about harvey milk who was like the first elected official in california who was murdered yep so i knew i knew what you meant um yep so yeah and that was good because like had the stonewall riots not happened maybe harvey milk would have been the reason that the rights, you know, the movement started. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, we got a little serious at the so, end. <laughs> so we got, yeah. So we gave people some half-ass um, history on Chernobyl, um, some half-ass history on gay pride. Yeah. Uh, a couple of like three book reviews, a one, one TV movie review. Like I think, I think we've covered everything we could possibly cover in this episode. That's two weeks worth of content because we that took is a week off. That's true. That's very yeah. true. Um, but we're not taking next week off. So I'm going to tell you guys what you're going to hear in the next two weeks. Um, so you get a, a treat next week. One small sacrifice, which is a shadows of New York book. I just found this out from reading it on Amazon uh, by Hillary Davidson, who um, we did record at a reading. It was at uh, it was that weird one in Milwaukee <laughs> when 
it wound up being at a taco bar. Where were we? Well, it was supposed to be Noir at the Cantina, but then the, like the Mexican restaurant or whatever that they wanted to do, mm-hmm. like closed down. That's right. It was Noir at the pizza place. It's yep. a pizza place. Yeah. Yeah. We were drinking so, Iron Maiden beer. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all coming back to me now. Um, <laughs> so uh, we uh, received ARC copies of this just moments ago, like earlier today. Um, so that'll be next. And then after that, and I know I don't understand. I know that everybody's out of school again. And I, I really, we really should have done this at a different time because <laughs> I didn't realize, look, man, my prom was in fucking June. So booked prom is in June. So it's probably going to be a week from this Saturday or Sunday. We haven't nailed the date down. That'll be Facebook Live um, for you to see. Um, we are currently working on the content, if you can even call it that, <laughs> for those live episodes. But there will be some content. We'll be talking about some things. We're going to review a movie. And uh, I'm sure there will be all kinds of fun shenanigans. So I've started telling the guys, because um, Jesse and Missy will be joining us, and I've started telling them, save it for the episode. So beautiful <laughs> so uh, i actually received a message from misty right before we started recording about the book prom episode so nice. i'm very much looking forward to it um i you know i was also looking forward to my own prom i'm guessing rob is looking forward to this episode like he looked forward to his own prom yeah well there's a story behind that but yes. yeah so <laughs> say save it for the episode save it for the episode okay. <laughs> thanks for listening until next time i'm olivia snudden and i'm rob olson keep reading